This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, The Death of Saul, and it comes from 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 13. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk, Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or listen to us wherever you consume your podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Amazon, whether it's iTunes, wherever you go and listen we are there too. Search for WMER space Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now today we wrap up the book of 1 Samuel. And it has been a encouraging. It has been a very teachful book that we've been able to go through. But today it is almost a very somber lesson. It's about the death of the first king for the nation of Israel. Ever since chapter 9, we have seen Saul get raised to be God's anointed king. In chapter 9, as he walked by, God told Samuel, he's the one. He's the one I want you to get. And we remember how well he started off, how that he even hid instead of standing in front of the people of Israel. And then today we will see how he dies defeated, a defeated man. Because this lesson is around the death of Saul, it made me think, as I just recently lost my mom, as many of you know, but I'd like to challenge you with who will write your obituary, or more importantly, what will it say? We all want to end well, but often we work against it by the choices that we make along the way from keeping us to have it end well. As I said just a minute ago, my mom has passed away, and I want to pay a tribute to her at her funeral my brother Nate was really the MC behind who all spoke. He paid a great tribute to my mom. My brother Tom got up and read her obituary. He talked about key things that happened in her life, how she was with a romper room, how she was a beauty queen in high school and in college, how long she was married to my dad for 63 years. Tom paid a great tribute. And then my brother Mark got up. He just spoke from his heart of what all mom had meant to all of us and what she meant to our family and what she meant to those around her. And then a little well-kept secret that a lot of people didn't know that we have an adopted sister. And she got up and spoke and she talked about how my mom led her to the Lord. 
Matter of fact, my mom was very diligent about leading all of her boys and Linda to the Lord. During this time, we were very sad, and everyone was sad to see my mom pass, but we took pride and joy knowing that we will see her soon. On the other side, we know where she's at. She's in heaven. And today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what happens on the other side, because King Saul does die. And even as somber as this final chapter is, I decided that I would give you a little humor or light hardness that we would go through it. I got I found a few epithets that were I thought amusing, so I'll share them with you real quickly. If you've ever been to the Haunted Mansion at Disney, you've seen some of these tombstones and the epitaph on it. Well, here's the first one, and it's kind of like that. It says, here lies Butch. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. Another one says, here lies the body of Margaret Bent. She kicked up her heels one too many times, and away she went. Or how about this one? Jedediah Goodwin, auctioneer, born 1828, going, going, gone, 1876. Another one says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. Let me give you one more real quick. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Well, we know that there is a place to go. They're all dressed up, but a little smoky. But on a more serious note, what a tragic epitaph might be written for King Saul. If an epitaph was written for him, it might go something like this. Here lies the first king of Israel named King Saul. His body was hung on a wall. No crown and no ruling town. Sadly, rebellion and sin brought him down. That would be King Saul's legacy. That would be his epitaph. And I want to ask you again, what would be your legacy? What would people write about you? See, King Saul started out well, but he didn't finish well. And it should be a reminder to you and I how we are living and writing a legacy every single day. And we need to make sure what we want that legacy to say. As I reviewed getting ready for this lesson today, I thought about in chapter 9 where Saul was selected, yet he was reluctant to even be king. How he hid behind the baggage instead of coming out when Samuel wanted to introduce him to the people. But then as we studied more about the life of King Saul, we saw all of a sudden the sin and rebellion that came into his life. And the more and more that he lived and walked in that title of king, the more and more that rebellion was there. And then we saw the jealousy and the act of even trying to murder or having people murdered. All of these things were the very things that roughly destroyed him, that took his walk away from God. A man that started well, that didn't finish well. And we read the legacy that he left. You know, there are a couple of words, I think, that describe the life of Saul, the legacy that he left. And the first one that jumps out at me is he was a disobedient man. And we saw at first he wasn't quite so disobedient, but as he walked further and further in the realm of being King Saul, he became more and more disobedient. He wanted to do things his way. Sadly, there are Christians walking around today that are very similar to King Saul. They walk with the Lord most of the time, but they're not allowing Jesus to be the Lord of all. 
Some would say they're not even a Christian. Now, I'm not going to get into that debate today. But they're a Christian, or they give the Lord most of their heart, but they don't give the Lord all of their heart. When we look at David compared to King Saul, David was a man after God's own heart. I'm not saying he didn't mess up. We pointed out just last week how he was out of the will of God. But when he got into trouble, he would humble himself and go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. We see that all throughout the Psalms, but that was not King Saul. We saw where he was told to go and wipe out the Amalekites. And what did he do? He did most of that. He kept the king and he kept the best of the livestock. And then when Samuel came to confront him, he said, well, I did what the Lord said. And Samuel said, if you did, why do I hear cows mooing behind me? Why do I hear clucking of chicken? See, he did what he thought was okay because he told Samuel, well, I'm going to use that livestock as sacrifices. It was the best of the livestock, but that's not what the Lord told him. The Lord told him to wipe everything out. And so, again, we see that little bit of rebellious anymore. He's not completely sold out. Another example of this is that they're about to go fight the Philistines. Samuel tells him to go and wait on him. He'll be there within seven days and they'll do a sacrifice. So Saul is there waiting. And what happens? The seventh day comes. Sun hasn't gone down, so the day's not over. But Saul gets impatient. Saul goes ahead and does the sacrifice. He wasn't supposed to. He wasn't even allowed to. Yet he went ahead and did the sacrifice for Samuel. Samuel shows up right after the sacrifice is done. He says, what have you done? He said, I've done a good thing. I've went ahead and done the sacrifice. And he says, no, you were supposed to wait. You couldn't obey by waiting. As his reign continued, we see this disobedience grow, where it's more disobedience and less of God. I give you another example of that. He is jealous of David and he's chasing after David and David's running for his life. And the priest help David. They give him bread and the head shearman, the head person over his livestock sees that and he goes to Saul and he tells him about it. And Saul gets furious. And what does he do? He has 85 priests killed because they gave David some bread. And then we see the day before he dies, just two chapters ago, how he went before a witch, how he consulted spirits. He said, the Lord won't speak to me through dreams and all that, so get me a witch. I mean, think about it for a second. He is tapping into the demonic. He is asking the demonic what he should do instead of asking for forgiveness and trying to make reconciliation with God so God will tell him what's right and what's wrong. And because of that, it is predicted of his death. The medium is allowed to bring Samuel forth. And Samuel comes and says, within 24 hours, you and your sons will meet me. In other words, you will die within 24 hours. The Philistines will take over and not only will you die, but the nation of Israel will lose this battle. Now, the second thing I would say that describes the legacy of King Saul, the life of King Saul, is that he was a distraught man. When you look at that word distraught, it means that they're crazy. And when we look at how he chased after David, how he let that jealousy and that greed and that power take over him. And sadly, there are again Christians that take on the name Christian that walk around just like King Saul. 
We see Christians that are like King Saul that are partially obedient. And we see Christians that take that title that are distraught, that they're jealous, they're greedy. It's about me. And that's what King Saul was all about. He was worried David was going to take over his throne. And we know that he does. But David spared his life multiple times. And yet King Saul didn't take that well enough. He did at the moment, but then he went back and chased him again. For 10 years, he chased after David like a madman. He was distraught. The third thing I think could describe his life is he was a desperate man. He was desperate for whatever he wanted. He would not be willing to wait. And we just gave you that example about how he's supposed to wait on Samuel. Yet he's not willing to wait the full time and he takes it in his own hands. Right before he goes to his final battle. Again, he looks out at the Philistine army and it says that he is a desperate man and that sends him to the witch. He was a desperate man. He needed what he wanted and he wanted it right now. Again, there are people walking around carrying the Christian name that want what the world says. You want it, you deserve it, and you deserve it right now. I remember a Mountain Dew commercial that I used to love And the phrase of it was, I want it all and I want it right now. There are people walking around carrying the Christian name like King Saul that are desperate. There are those that are disobedient. There are those that are distraught. And there are those that are desperate. And then the final one I think that describes the legacy of Saul is he was a defeated man. And we're really going to see that today, but... He was a defeated man because he did everything in his own strength. He tried to do it in Saul's strength, and he got his eyes off the Lord. When he was so successful, why was he successful? Because he relied on God. But yet, as he became more powerful as king, and people recognized him as king, and they treated him like a king, he started doing more and more in his own strength, and he got further and further away from God. And sadly, There are folks walking around as Christians today that are defeated Christians. They are trying to do everything in their own strength. And the Lord says, let me do it. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. I've spent a lot more time than I normally do in our introduction, but that would be a review of Saul's life. And now what I'd like to do is just jump right into our text. If you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel 31, verses 1 through 13. It's only 13 verses. We'll go through it pretty fast. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilbo. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchiasha, the son of Saul. And the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his arm bearers, Draw your sword and thrust it through me, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust through me and mistreat me. But his arm bearer wouldn't do it, for he feared greatly. Then Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his arm bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword, and he died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his arm bearer and all his men on the same day together. So the first thing we see is the death of Saul and his sons and the defeat of the nation of Israel. Here is that battle that has been brewing over the last several chapters. It's now going on and the Philistines are fighting against the nation of Israel. And the men of Israel 
fled before the Philistines. And they fell slain, the ones that couldn't get away, right at Mount Gilbo. Things have gotten so bad, they are retreating to their camp. They're, if you remember back in chapter 28, they're sitting at Mount Gilbo. So they're retreating back to their camp as the Philistines are making a charge against them. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. The Philistines are winning. And what happens as the Philistines are winning this battle? His three sons die. And that brings to pass the prophecy that was given by Samuel through the medium. The Bible tells us that Jonathan, David's friend, was one of the sons of Saul. He was the firstborn. He would have been the next king. But he is killed in that battle. And his two brothers are also killed with him. And what does it say in verses 4 through 6? It says that Saul was wounded by the arrows of their archers. He's critically wounded now. And he's not going to survive the battle. That's the first thing I want you to understand. He's critically wounded. He knows he can't fight anymore. He's about to die. So he goes to his arm bearer and he says, go ahead and kill me. Draw your sword and, and stab me with it before these uncircumcised fellows come and they do that to me. Plus they torture me. But his arm bearer won't do it. Just like David did earlier. The arm bearer refuses to take the life of God's anointed. And when the arm bearer refuses, Saul then falls on his own sword and he takes his own life. And then when the arm bearer sees that Saul is dead, what does he do? He falls on his sword and he dies with him. A tragedy everywhere. His sons are dead. The nation of Israel is losing this battle. And now Saul is dead. Everything that was said to Saul because he foolishly went to the witch at Endor came to pass. He died, his sons died, and the nation of Israel lost that battle. But that's not where it ends. That's just the death of Saul and his sons. But then we see the dishonoring of Saul and his sons. Look at that with me, starting in verse 7. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and they fled, and the Philistines came and they lived in them. And then the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons falling on Mount Gilbo. So they cut off the head and they stripped off the armor and sent the messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to people. They put the armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshean. Well, there's really two things I want you to see out of this section of scripture. One is that Saul and his sons are dishonored. They come and they find him after he's dead, and what do they do? They strip him of his armor and they go put it in their temple, and then they take his head, they say, and they put it in another temple. They behead him, just like ISIS is doing over in the Middle East, a very brutal and ruthless way. And then they take his body and they hang it up on the outside. They hang it up as a, as a wall of shame. His body and his son's bodies and those from the nation of Israel are desecrated. Think about it. What would you do if somebody desecrated a loved one's body that you had? By exposing his body on the wall with his sons, that was the greatest dishonor that could happen in that culture. Not to have a proper burial, to have your body desecrated and exposed for people to mock at. That is true dishonor. But not only did they dishonor Saul and his sons, but they also dishonored God, the one true God. See, they take Saul's death and they use it 
to say our God is better than your God. Exalt the idols and the false god over the God of Israel. They send messengers throughout the land proclaiming a victory in the temples of the idols. In 1 Chronicles 10.10, it tells us that they put Saul's head in the temple of Dagon and his armor in the temple of Ashereth. See, what the Philistines are saying is that our idols won. Our idols defeated the God of Israel. The Philistines glorify their idols and they dishonor and defame the name of the one true God in that whole process. And what I want you to understand is that's the way it is today. That's the way it is in the world today. The world rejoices when a fellow believer falls. When they publicly fall, the world laughs, then they mock and they make fun of the Christian faith. And that is the greatest dishonor possible, to defame the name of God. That's one of the Ten Commandments. We should never do anything that would defame the name of God if we are going to carry the name Christian. But yet there are folks that take the name of Christian and they disobey God. They live like the world. They're not truthful in how they walk. They do all the things of the world and then the world makes fun of them as they get called out on it. So we've seen a review of Saul's life. We've seen the death of Saul and his sons. And we've seen the dishonor of Saul and his sons. And not only Saul and his sons, but the dishonor of God's name. But this chapter wraps up with a valiant act for Saul. A final valiant act towards Saul. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Besham. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tarmac tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Saul's death is tragic. Saul's dishonor is heartbreaking. But fortunately, there is a good end to this story. It ends on somewhat of a better note. Wouldn't it be sad if we had to end this story on the death and dishonoring of Saul? But the act of the people of Jabesh-Gilead gives us a true hope. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead hear what the Philistines have done to Saul and his sons, they travel through the night to recover all the bodies. Now, this was a difficult journey. It was full of danger. It was about 15 miles away, so you think about having to walk that far. They had to cross the Jordan River by night. They had to sneak across enemy territory to go get these bodies. And they do this by taking them off the wall while they don't alert any guards. And then they have to take the dangerous trek back, right back through the night as they go across the Jordan River over this 15 miles, carrying now multiple bodies with them. But when they return to Jabesh, they burn the desecrated bodies and they give them the proper burial that they should have. And then they take the bones that are left over from the burial that they gave through fire and they bury it under a tree. And then they fast for seven days out of respect for Saul and his sons. You might ask, Tim, why did they do this? Well, if you go all the way back to chapter 11, we find this is where Saul becomes a king, where he acts like a king. The Ammonites are coming after these people and they say that we're going to kill you or you're going to be our slave one. You make the choice. And as Saul's first official act as king, he goes and he takes out the Amorites. And because of that, there is some devotion from the people of Jabesh Gilead for what King Saul did. See, Saul began his rule as king by rescuing the people of Jabesh Gilead. 
Saul's story ends, though, with the people of Jabesh Gilead rescuing him. Well, as we wrap up this book, I want you to remember Saul's life. I want you to understand the importance of your choices. Your choices are important. Every day you're choosing to walk in the life or you're choosing to walk in the world. When you choose God and you choose God's way, you're choosing life. But when you choose sin, when you choose self, you're choosing the world. It's important what you choose because people will remember what you did. And that is part of your legacy, just like we looked at the legacy of Saul. Just like I told you about my mom and the legacy that she left, how she poured into lives, how she loved kids, how she led people to the Lord. What legacy are you leaving? The book of 1 Samuel ends in a low note with the death of Saul. But we anticipate a high note, the crowning of David as king in the book of 2 Samuel. But Saul had that same choice. Saul made the wrong choices. Saul started out well. God said, this is the one I told you about, Samuel. This is the man I choose. And yet Saul slowly let his title and what his power had come into him. And he started making choices for the world. He started making choices for self. He started making choices towards sin. And he got further and further away from God. And your legacy, whether you end well or whether you end poorly like Saul did, is a direct result of the choices that you will make in your life. And the most important choice you can make is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything hinges on that very choice. When my mom died, one thing that I told you we had consolation in is that we knew where she would be and that we would see her again one day and she had complete healing from her sickness. Can those around you say the same thing about your life and about you? Would they say that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've left a legacy of that? I got to speak at my son's graduation and one of the things I told him that life is like a book. Every day we're writing a new chapter. We're adding a new page to the story of our life. And that book that you're writing, as they were graduating, that is a chapter. It's not just a page, but it is a chapter. And the question are, what are you writing in your book? What do the chapter headlines look like? What is in the content of the pages of that book that you're living out every single day? Is it a life chasing after God and being the hands and feet of God? Or is it a life that chases after a worldly goal? Somebody that wants to get ahead in life, that wants to make more money, and God is just one piece of it. You have to make that choice. What will your legacy be? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and as we wrap up this book, as we wrap up 1 Samuel, Lord, I thank you for the many lessons that you've given us over the last six months as we've gone through this book. Lord, how you've shown us Samuel and the life he lived when there was corruption going on in the priest, how he came up and set a standard. And Lord, how you used him to transition from the judge and the judges to the kingship. Lord, how you used him to anoint the very first king. Lord, we saw Saul as he was young and that he was humble and how he really almost didn't want to be king. How he prophesied for you at the very beginning. But we saw at the very end how he turned from you and your ways and he let sin rule his life. Lord, I pray right now that all these lessons, all these moments 
through this book that we've studied will fall deep in the hearts and the soil. It'll take fertile ground and it'll grow and we will apply it to our life and we'll live it out. It's not good enough that we know, but we've got to actually act it out. We've got to live it out just like you lived it out before us. Lord, maybe there's one today that's like Saul that's disobedient. Lord, I pray today that they will give you all of their life, not most of it, not just about everything, but all of it, everything, every single kingdom in their heart. Lord, maybe the ones that are distraught, that are a little bit crazy. Lord, I pray right now that you would just step back in their life and give them that peace and that calm that you talk about, that past all understanding. Lord, the ones that are desperate, Lord, that have trouble waiting, Lord, I pray that you'll give them the patience that your word tells us about. And Lord, the defeated, the ones walking around in their own strength like King Saul. Lord, let us learn not to walk in our own strength, but to keep our eyes focused on you and walk in your strength. And Lord, the one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today would be the day, Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would admit their sinner. They would believe in their heart of your finished work on the cross, and they would confess with their mouth before men that you are Lord of their life, and they would chase after you. Lord, we ask this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.